welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, again, my name is Micah, if we haven't met. I'm the lead pastor here at Awaken, and uh, welcome 11 o'clockers. Glad you're here. We're in week three of a series called To Walk a Mile, and so if you are new with us over the last two weeks, now week three, uh, we're looking at this, or we've been sort of inviting uh, our community into this space of being uh, essentially a, a listening posture, and so we're inviting uh, you to walk a mile in someone else's shoes, and so um, really this is about... Uh, practicing a posture of openness. It's about um, engaging in empathy and compassion and hearing each other's stories. Um, The first two weeks we heard from Alyssa and John, um, both gay Christians who are uh, a part of our community and so grateful for them and their courage to to offer themselves and their story um, to us over the last couple weeks. I hope and I trust that you've learned something new, uh, maybe about them, but also maybe about yourself. Um, I I trust and I I hope that in some ways you grew in your capacity to be a non-anxious presence. Um, This is a really good adulting skill, uh, non-anxious presence. So I hope that you were invited to live in that space a little bit, uh, which is essentially to reserve judgment, right? Again, which is a good thing to practice, uh, reserving judgment. And and hopefully um, you were challenged to think a little bit more deeply about that. The next two weeks are going to be similar in some ways, but they'll be different in some ways as well. So this morning, we're going to hear from Patrick, who uh, is the husband uh, in a biracial marriage. And then next week, my friend Joe Davis is coming. He's an African-American man. And uh, it'll be similar in the sense that I'm going to invite you to the same posture, one of openness and of listening, of empathy and compassion to walk a mile in someone else's shoes, right? And, um, but it's going to be different also. Um, in that, well, um, Christians come to different conclusions at times regarding or related to how to interpret scripture um, when it comes to uh, human sexuality and what is the most faithful way to live that out. Um, and so we've talked about that at Awaken, and we're okay with that, where we, we try to occupy that space where we recognize that maybe there's people who come to different conclusions, and uh, we, we welcome that. Um, I want to go on record and say that this is a very different kind of conversation in, the, in this respect. Um, I, 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 tr- I firmly believe that the gospel of Jesus, the good news about God's work in the world, demands that we categorically and wholeheartedly reject any notions of racism, uh, narratives of racial difference and white supremacy when they are alive in us, in our community, uh, our churches, uh, our our schools, or our our world. Um, I think that that is a, uh, if you follow Jesus and you, you, you commit yourself to that, uh, to following Jesus, you're, you're saying that we're going to root these things out of our lives and we're going to work to do so. Um, so that's not up for debate in that sense, uh, I want to suggest. Uh, over the next two weeks, we're going to hear stories uh, of two individuals and we're going to be invited to, into their experience and the challenges of being in a biracial couple uh, or a biracial marriage and then to be a, a black man in America. Um, these stories will involve racism. Uh, as I would define as individual or group level processes and structures that are implicated in the reproduction of racial inequity, right? Anytime in us or in our, our, our communities where racial inequity is propagated and furthered, right? That's racism. Um, they will involve um, narratives of racial difference and then white supremacy, right? This idea that this narrative that says we're different based on our skin color and then a value is assigned based on that difference or value is assigned based on its proximity to whiteness. Um, they will involve sto- these stories will involve those things and it will likely be hard to hear in some ways. 
Um, I hope that it is, because these are deeply troubling and they are antithetical to the gospel and the good news of of Jesus. Um, So, a couple of requests. Uh, If you are in the dominant culture in the room, right? If you are a a white person in the room, I I, I wanna invite you to do a few things. Number one, I wanna ask you not to exercise your privilege. And what I mean by that is, uh, one of the best definitions of privilege I've heard is the freedom to walk away, right? You walk, you wake up tomorrow and you're still in the majority culture in most of the places that you live. That's, that's privilege. Um, you don't have to think about things that people of color have to think about every single day of their lives when they wake up. So I'm gonna ask you and I'm gonna invite you not to exercise your privilege to do so, to walk away and to not think about this tomorrow, but to, to, to think about it to process it, to engage in it, to, with the people around you that you do community with, or your, your, your spouse, or your friends. Um, move towards it, that's an invitation, that's an exhortation from your pastor. Uh, don't exercise your privilege. Um, number two, if you feel tired or fragile or overwhelmed by the conversation and things that you hear, um, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face various trials, right? This is the book of James, this is you, using muscles that you haven't had to use before or that you don't use often, right? The tiredness or the overwhelmed feeling that you feel, this is you engaging and using muscles that maybe you don't have to use every day. This is a good thing. Uh, By moving towards those things, you'll become more resilient and stronger, both qualities needed to be advocates and allies for equity and justice in the world, right? Things that the kingdom of God would say are important. So I wanna invite you to move towards that. And then the last thing I would say is don't ask a person of color to do work that you can do by yourself, okay? Um, And I'll just share a quick example of how I screwed this up just this last week. And you will probably screw this up at some point in the future. Nobody gets an A in this work. Our friend Jenna tells me all the time, Micah, you don't get an A in this work. As a white male, you're you're used to doing things well and perfect and you you strive for that. You're gonna fail all the time. So just get used to it, all right? Um, we're gonna end our gathering with uh, a bit of a lament and confession, a responsive reading. And um, I don't have a lot of those in my, um, you know, Word documents because we don't do that a lot. And I didn't grow up doing that a lot, which is sad, but true. So I put out on my little covenant ministerial page, like, hey, are there some of you who have done laments or confessions? Any ideas you can give me? And I tagged some of my friends in the covenant who I know care about this. And then I realized that like five of the seven people I tagged were people of color. So I, the white guy, am asking my friends of color to help, find, help me find laments to lead my church in. Do you see what I've done there? I'm asking people who already share an inequitable burden to do more work for me. Don't do that. If you can do the work yourself, do it. Find a white person who can help you do the work, okay? That's helpful, I've been told many times by friends of mine. If you're a person of color in the room, Um, If Awaken is home, and this is a community that you've said yes to and that you're investing in as home, I will just say that this will require patience. Um, We intend as a community and I intend as a pastor to continue to move towards this conversation, um, to be a, a church that's waking up to race and justice and reconciliation, and um, it's gonna require patience. Um, And that's an ask that I would make of you. I would also say, if you need something, that you can't find here in a majority white church, um, blessings and freedom to find it where you can find it. Um, 
And if you as your, uh, would like your pastors to walk with you and help you find that, whatever it is that's not here that you can't get, we would be happy and, and it would be our joy to do so. The other thing I'll say is that you are free to say no thank you. Um, there may be an ask of you along the way uh, in this journey for us as a church. Um, and I understand that it costs you every time you say yes to that invitation. Um, and so you're free to say no thank you. And we'll just keep going. We'll keep moving towards. We'll keep doing work on this. Okay? Does that sound good? All right. So um, without any further ado, if you would please welcome my friend Patrick Akpayete. Now, you may be wondering, um, I thought this was a conversation with a biracial couple, and this is true. Um, Unfortunately, Heidi, Patrick's uh, wife, wasn't able to be here this morning because of some work-related conflicts, and so um, we get Patrick and not Patrick and Heidi, which we're sad for and excited at the same time. Sure. (laughs) Sure, Micah. Um, Okay, Patrick, tell us a little bit about um, who you are, what you do during the day, and maybe how you guys made your way to Awaken. Okay, so I am Patrick, obviously, and what I do during the day, I am in corporate sales, um, IT purchasing sales. It's as exciting as I make it sound right there. Um, (laughs) Most of my days consist of flying around to large, predominantly like Fortune 500 companies and telling them how they can fix their purchasing processes via technology consulting and and what have you. It's a blast. Scintillating, it sounds like. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. And um, how, did you, uh, how did you find your way to Awaken? Uh, my wife actually is good friends with a pastor who spoke here over the summer, uh, Stephanie Williams. Yeah. Uh, she's the uh, co-pastor, co-pastor yeah. at Mill City uh, in Northeast. So we were looking for uh, a church that was proximal from where we are that kind of aligned with a lot of our values. And she mentioned Awaken, and we've been coming here for think about two years. My wife comes far yeah. more consistently than I do. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of how we and got you guys it. were, you were uh, living in Minneapolis or I think had moved over to St. Paul? Is we were living in Minneapolis. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> we were living in Minneapolis and then moved over to St. Paul about four years ago yeah. and it just not really found a yeah. church that clicked. Sounds good. Um, so tell us a little bit about like your spiritual background. What kind of family did you grow up in? What was, uh, how did spiritual life intersect with that? Yeah, so my family uh, generationally has been Catholic. My uh, grandma is what I would call like a, a super Catholic or even a super duper Catholic, if that's nice. a thing. Uh, she goes to mass at least three times a week. Um, she has this you know, incredibly close relationship with her pastor and even her bishop. She lives in Nigeria. Um, every Sunday after church, she hosts a large post-church lunch for like the whole she, she's very financially um, well off, so she does this like every Sunday. And it's, so I didn't talk about this in the first session, but um, somewhat funny because I'll call her on a Sunday and I'll be like, hey, Grandma, how's it going? She's like, have people over, I'm having party, bye. And she'll like hang up because it's, it is the that most important like a teenager. thing. Yeah, she's, she's a handful, um, but she's, she's a blast. You mentioned earlier uh, in the first hour that you know, the pastor is invited. So like weekly, uh, someone weekly. in the church hosts a meal for the pastor and the Correct. family. Correct. Pastor just kind of shows. I see where he's going with this. Wow. But. That's just <laughs> something else, isn't it? I mean, wow. Let's just stop there for a sec. 
Um, well, I'll take my $20 after. Yeah, right, right. Um, I, I didn't ask you about this first hour, but so your, your grandmother still is in Nigeria. Correct. Were both of your parents born there and then immigrated here, or how, um, did, how did that happen? So uh, both my parents were born in Nigeria. Um, up until pretty much this generation, everyone in my family has gone to boarding school. Okay. So um, my dad went to boarding school in England, and then went to the university in England, and he lives in London. Actually, he lives in Kent, just south of England. Um, all of my mother's siblings, except for one, went to boarding school in either, most of the times in, uh, in the UK, but in various places. So that's kind of how we've all spread out. So I have family in Texas, Indianapolis, Minnesota, obviously. Uh, London, Scotland, I had an uncle that lived in Iceland for a while, um, an aunt and uncle that live in Japan, so they're all kind of spread out because of that. Goodness backup. gracious. Do you have a, fairy, a favorite Nigerian dish? Like, do you eat much uh, African food? Yeah, there's a jollof rice. It's kind of like okay. um, a spicy seasoned rice, but I like anything that's spicy. Yeah. So. Nice. Okay. Um, tell us a little bit about Heidi. How did you guys meet? Uh, so we met actually on a, a blind date. Um, about five, almost five years ago now. Maybe, yeah, I think almost five years ago now. And maybe six years. Gosh, I wish she was here to know that. Um, but she would. <laughs> she would know that for sure. Yeah. Uh, we'll just tell her that I, I knew it right away. Yeah. I think it was six years ago. We had been going to the same church for two and a half years before. We actually were set up um, by folks outside of that space. And on this first date, we were talking. She's like, oh, what church do you go to? And she's like, oh, I go to Sanctuary. And I was like, no, nah, no, you don't. Um, I go to Sanctuary, and she's like, she's like, well, I've been going there for three years, and I said, I haven't gone there for like two and a half years, and I've never seen you. Well, it turns out I always sat in the very, very back row, as close to the exit as possible, uh, because I had a standing tea time uh, with some friends, and I had to leave about 10 to 15 minutes before the uh, service was over. Legitimate. So it, it was a very, very important yeah. tea time. Yeah, so I don't, I don't, you know, golf's a serious business, so... I kind of wanted to leave the church um, rush and didn't want to um, get... You just get caught up in all the... In conversation yeah, or fellowship, yeah. I had to get to my, my teeth. <laughs> Somewhat embarrassing. But, and she sat in the front, so we never crossed paths there. We were actually in the, the same wedding six years prior to that. Uh, of the couple that um, set us up, I was an usher. I got sick on the day of the wedding, um, so I didn't go to the reception, and she was a bridesmaid. Um, and all of his high school friends, the groom's high school friends, were outside um, in the gazebo area at the groom's dinner. All of um, the bride and groom's friends that were counselors at Covenant Pines uh, were inside in the basement. So we just never crossed paths for better part of half a decade. Man, it's like destiny was trying over and over to get you guys together. It, it probably all worked out. Had she met me earlier, probably wouldn't have been good for either of us. So <laughs> I needed to be seasoned. <laughs> As an adult before yes. uh, meeting. I love it. I love it. Um, it when, when I've spoken to people who uh, are a part of biracial marriages or relationships, there's often drama mm -hmm. with family. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about that. Cause it... Yeah, there wasn't really much. And the reason for, for myself and Heidi on both ends not having any uh, race-related uh, drama or tension, I think tension might be another way of looking at it, was that... My sister um, was married before we had met. Um, her husband's white, my sister's black. Uh, Heidi's sister had married before we had met. Her husband's Mexican, um, Heidi's sister's white. Uh, so it wasn't the first interracial relationship, yet alone the first interracial uh, marriage in, 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 the, in either side. 
Um, and then uh, Heidi's parents are very, I think, passionate about just diversity and inclusiveness, uh, more so in the disability space. Uh, I didn't mention this earlier, but Heidi's brother is, is mentally and physically disabled. Um, the really, and I don't want to, I get somewhat emotional talking about my mother-in-law because I adore her. Um, it's not her biological son. So this child that was given up, and he was given up in the 70s because he had these mental and physical um, disabilities. Um, he's, he's in a wheelchair. Every morning she changes his, uh, his diaper. He's 45 years old now. Uh, she broke her wrist. I don't, I'm going to talk about this really quick because it, yeah. it's important to me at yeah. least. It's not about race, but I think it's pertinent. Um, she broke her wrist three years ago, and um, she wasn't able to do the daily things that she did, and I gained a new appreciation of her because every morning we have a duplex. She lives downstairs. So my brother-in-law, Heidi and I, my son, uh, one years old, live upstairs. I had to wake up at 4.45. I'd go downstairs, and at 5 a.m., she literally changes them, shaves them every day. I don't even shave myself every day. Shaves them every day, changes his diaper, does all these things. Um, so Heidi's family just has a very inclusive and open heart. Um, and by having the opportunity to help her with that, I really gained a new appreciation for just how amazing of a woman she is. And she's, I'm always just like, it's just so amazing that you do that. And um, I did a public speaking course and I talked about someone that inspires me. I talked about my mother-in-law. She always just looks at me like I'm an idiot. It's like, yeah, but that's my son. And that's just how she sees him, even though she chose to bring a child into her life that um, she didn't have to, no one forced her to, she didn't birth him, she just said this kid is amazing and I love him and she's been taking care of him for the last, he's 45 now, I think 43 years, which is pretty amazing. Wow. Uh, and then on my mom's side of the family, she's always worked in uh, diverse spaces with multiculturalism, so it's, it's really never been an issue on yeah. either side of the family. You guys were well-versed. Correct. Yes. Um, so, brief caveat, you and I have talked about this, but I think it's important to bring the congregation into this process. So, we've been planning this series, and, you know, I came up with this harebrained idea, and as we got closer to it, I have asked a number of people, and, and we were ready to, we were locked and loaded the week before the series was going to begin, and I, uh, through a number of conversations and things that I had, was reading, and um, we almost pulled the plug on this whole series, um, because... Um, I think I underestimated, and maybe as just a part of my own learning, um, that this idea for people of color and people who have been marginalized in some way, when you ask for those folks to share their stories, that is a huge cost for many. And, sure. and a number of people said no to the mm -hmm. invitation. And so the week before, we were ready to kind of not do this series, and you and I talked a little bit about this. I, I'm wondering if, in the end, you... You said, yes, I want to do this. Can you talk about why you uh, said yes? I think the, the big reason why I said why is I think I asked you some, some pretty direct and kind of challenging questions yes, about um, what is your goal, yep. right? Um, do you have a defined goal? What does it look like if you miss your goal? Mm -hmm. Is it still worth it? Because I think for the majority of the folks here, um, as I look across the congregation, are majority white, um, if nothing changes, if your hearts don't change, if their view doesn't change, does it really impact you? I, I would actually challenge you guys to say that it does um, because your life uh, becomes cheapened um, from the opportunity that's missed. Um, but for African-Americans specifically, and that's my, my wheelhouse being that I've been African-American for the vast majority of my life. 
Um, if, if nothing changes, it impacts me greatly. You know, I have a one-year-old son, and I look at everything from the lens as a father. Anyone in here who's a parent um, can appreciate that, regardless of your uh, ethnic um, or, or gender background. Mm -hmm. So, part of you know, part of why I ask is, you know, what does that look like if if everyone goes, yeah, that was nice for a Sunday, but we're gonna miss the Vikings game. Got to get home. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and you gave me, and I don't necessarily share that in this space, but you gave me some answers that um, I appreciated in its honesty. Uh, so I thought, if, if you're willing to take that risk and you're willing to go down that road, I don't want to be a roadblock mm. to that. I, I was skeptical, still am somewhat skeptical about how much of an impact it has because I have folks that I've been friends with for years um, that are white that'll you know say things like well you're not really black which is one of the most insulting things you can possibly say to a human being it's like saying I can't even think of compare comparison I'm trying to find something to to really kind of combine it but um it's like someone god this is a horrible example that's a great way to start a sentence right um, I'm gonna use it anyway um it's like if you were uh a Minnesotan, God, this is horrible. I'm gonna try it anyway. A Minnesotan, and someone said, "Well, you're not really Minnesotan. I mean, like you're well spoken and you're polite." And Minnesotans aren't like that, right? Again, very, very weak example, but it's a little insulting. Now, imagine someone saying that about the core of who you are. You're not really black because you're well spoken, or you're not really black because you have a corporate job, or you're not really black because of whatever. And I think, well, my mom has two masters. My sister has a masters. You know, my uh, grandmother is incredibly wealthy and very well off and very well versed in the church. So what does that say about all of them and their worth? So mm. um, for people that I consider good good friends that I've been friends with for years, if that's their reaction, um, what yeah. kind of boldness does it say to say a whole bunch of folks that I don't know that they're going to be somehow moved? So mm. somewhat skeptical, but I'd love to be proven wrong. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's a very good chance that I could be. One of, the, one of the phrases that you said to me, which kind of the coin dropped in the slot, you said, you know, Micah, um, there's a cost to not having the conversation as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so if there's a cost I have to pay, I'm willing to uh -huh. engage in that. So thank you. Yeah. Um, June 12th, 1967, mm -hmm. the Lovings versus the state of Virginia was the moment in America where interracial marriage was not illegal in states in our union. Um, there are people in this room who remember in America where it was illegal to be married to a person of a different ethnicity. Um, can you reflect on that at all? Uh, yeah. Um, I actually didn't know that, that exact storyline. I knew that obviously at some point. I think there's a movie recently, like the last couple of years, written about it, but yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not familiar. But uh, for me, I, I always look at it as. Um, the world that we live in is is kind of you know what we what we know. So for my son, and I use this analogy, last service got a good laugh. So if you guys want to laugh at it, it would help help things, right? Um, he swipes everything that's glass, like anything that's glass, he just swipes away. So if you were to give him a um, a Kodak photo, he would be very confused because it's one photo, and there's no YouTube app on it. Um, but like that's the world that he lives in. So like this happened before I was born. So the world that I've lived in is, you know, especially being in Minnesota, is that there's interracial relationships. It's mm -hmm. not common, but it's not unheard of. Uh, one thing I didn't talk about in the first service was I lived in Milwaukee uh, 10 years ago or so. 
now. And in Milwaukee, it's not even a matter of a lack of interracial relationships. Um, it's interracial friendships and even across the board where I have a good friend um, who grew up in Milwaukee. He's like, yeah, it's not even just race. It's if you're Polish, you don't really hang out with the Irish. And if you're Irish, you don't hang out with someone who's um, Czech. It's very, very segregated. And, and when I was living in uh, Milwaukee, uh, I was dating a gal that was white. And two instances that stood out to me was um, one where uh, a white lady came up to us, we were at Target, and was just like, you guys should be ashamed of yourselves. Um, and another time was a black guy, and we were out eating, um, and I was actually admiring his family. It was really unfortunate that that's the turn it took. I was admiring his family, because you know, this beautiful family looked like they were really enjoying themselves, and he came up and was just like, young man, yeah, you're a disgrace, this or that, and like, it ruined our entire eating experience. So it's not just white or black, I, I think, a lot of folks can get very comfortable in their bubbles, in, in people that think and look and you know everything like them, and it happens on both sides of the fence. I have family members that are black that only interact with black people, and I think it's it's a missed opportunity because it's a big world out there, and if you're only interacting with you know a quarter of the population or half the population or even 90% of the population, you're missing out on that percent that you're missing. Yeah, related to that, are, have you found community at all, like with other? interracial couples, is that something that you've, you've found or connected to? I've or? never actually searched that out, but interestingly enough, uh, most of my friends are in interracial hmm. relationships, and like one of my best friends from high school is native and white, and his wife is Laotian, and one of another my, my friends is Cambodian, hmm. and his wife is white, another one is black, and his wife is, is German, actually from Germany. Um, so it's kind of happened that way. I don't yeah, know if you've never sought it, sought it out, but it may also be just a comfort thing sure. again, right? That's just kind of happening in, in the back of my mind. Certainly there's a commonality that you, know, sure. you, you, uh, you just look and be like, oh yeah, you know, mm -hmm. right? Um, what, can you share a little bit about um, some of the obstacles that you face? You, you mentioned a, a couple, but as, a, as an interracial couple, what are some of the things that you, maybe the subtle things that happen that you would see that maybe we wouldn't. Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll try to tell these stories somewhat um, brief, but uh, one of them was uh, my wife had a conference in Nashville, Tennessee back in August, I believe, and we stayed in Nashville for two days, listened to some live music. It was, if anyone's been to Nashville, it's, it's an amazing, awesome, awesome city. Um, and we love live music, and you really can't beat that for live music. But the last two days, she thought it'd be um, fun to uh, stay in uh, like an Airbnb, a rustic uh, petting zoo ranch thing. Um, <laughs> Sounds interesting. Yeah, it was, it, it, was, it, it was beautiful, but it was, yeah. Um, but it was in the hills of Tennessee. So I'm, you know, thinking it's in the hills. Okay, it's in Tennessee. And um, for any, you know, black person in the congregation, you think in, in the south, in the hills, no. Um, in Tennessee, in the south, in the hills, heck no. I think it's a heck, right? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Okay, all right. So, <laughs> like, 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 I mean, that may like, be deserving of the other. Yeah, absolutely not. Like, that's like, I just think people with pick, uh, pitchforks, you know, burning crosses, like every bad thing you've ever thought of, where if you're a white couple, you're probably not thinking about that. So, we had it, and I was like, Heidi, you know, just, I don't feel that comfortable, but you already booked it, it's non refundable let's just try it, right? I'm gonna get outside of my comfort zone and hopefully be proven wrong. And the, the couple who owned it were a, a very nice uh, gay couple from California. 
So we get there and, you know, he's like, oh, you know, you can't sleep. Is the bed uncomfortable? And I was like, I can't get over that photo. She's like, what photo? And there's a photo of a regiment of Confederate soldiers literally over the bed, well, on the side of the wall where the bed was. And she's just looking at it as, you know, oh, it's just, you know, it's a rustic, historic, um, refurbished um, shatter barn or whatever. Um, they, they have the living space. And I'm looking at it, and I'm looking at that same picture she is. I had a different shared memory, and that's screaming to me, you're not welcome. We don't want you here. We are idolizing um, this, this moment in American history. And I'm not just thinking about that for myself. For myself, you know, I've, I've been to the South uh, plenty of times uh, with track. I'm thinking about more from a vantage point of a, uh, of a dad, right? I have a one-year-old son, and I'm thinking, if I feel unsafe as an adult, how much more unsafe is my one-year-old kid who's just oblivious? And Heidi's been married to me for four years. Um, she's been well-versed. I mean, some of her best friends are black well before she ever knew me. And she just didn't even think of that. It didn't even cross your mind. Whereas as soon as she said we're going to Nashville, things like that started working in the back of my mind 24-7 all the time and building. So I think that would be one nuance. And then another quicker story was we were at Target yesterday. My one-year-old son was being a one-year-old and he wanted the, the string cheese that we had just gotten. He wanted it like right away. So Heidi's like, okay, I'll just open up the pack and give him some string cheese. And I darn near like had like a, a stroke. Like you just, no, like you do not open. And again, that's kind of, I think the gray area we talked about earlier right. of, I don't know if that's a family upbringing difference of you don't open a package before you buy it. There's, I can almost guarantee there's, there's folks here that are white. They're like, yeah, you wouldn't Duh. do that. Duh, yeah. right? Um, but I, yeah, and I, I don't know if that's a family upbringing or a race thing, and that's, I think, one of the nuances of race um, that I hope some folks can appreciate is so many things happen, and you don't know if it's racist or not. You don't know if it's, hey, did I do something that welcomed this, that elicited this um, ill reaction, or is it racism? If it's racism, there's not much I can do to change it, but if it's something that I'm doing, it's an opportunity for personal growth. So I try to like push against that when possible, but the not knowing is extremely tiring when anything bad happens and you're like, I don't think that was racism, but it could have been. And if it's racism, there's very little I can do to change that. It's, it's, it's almost defeating in a lot of ways because you can only do so much. Yeah, I have a good friend of mine that reminds me of a story. He was an African-American man sitting his, his kids down, and he said, Micah, I'm curious if you've ever had this conversation with your, with your kids where you told them, like, if we're in a store, mm -hmm. like, keep your hands out of your pockets. Yeah. Um, because, and he had this conversation with his dad when he was a kid, and he's like, you do not put your hands in your pockets because mm -hmm. I don't have time for people thinking you're stealing something. Yep. I've never had to have that conversation with my kids. Mm -hmm. um, and I take string cheese and give it to them all the time when we're in the store. So just even, you know, uh, that, that difference of experience. And even before that, knowing that you have to have that conversation. My son's one. Right. Um, we're, we're still, you know, working on, you know, like sharing and, you know, PBS, you know, Clifford the Big Red Dog. Daniel so we're Tiger. Not, yeah, he loves that. That's yeah. a good one. Who does um, <laughs> But just knowing that I'm going to have to have conversations with him like that. It, it really, I think, in a lot of ways, steals from the, um, the enjoyment of being a father in, in some ways. Well, he'll be doing something that's 
super cute or super fun. And he has this like really curly. Um, one of my uh, cousins says he has curls for the girls. He does. He man. has like I'd big, beautiful curls, curls with like awesome. blonde highlight to highlighted tips at the end. And he'll be doing something that's like really kind of just adorable, right? Objectively adorable. And I'll go, oh, that's great. Then I go, eventually at some point, someone's going to hate him because of who he is. And it steals from that, uh, that moment where you're really, you're enjoying something and there's always that. I, I heard a, a comedian talk about, and he was being somewhat serious, he said, you'll see parents of color look at their kids while they're playing and they almost have a look of sadness on their face because it's like, oh, enjoy this bliss because it's not going to last. And it's you know, really kind of sad that that's just the reality, right? Maybe in 20 years it'll be different. I, I don't really have a whole lot of hope that it will um, to the degree that it should, but it's, it's just the reality, I think, of being a, a parent of color where my wife is, is, a, is a parent of a child of color because my son's just as much white as he is black, but the world is going to look at him as more as black than white. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that she thinks of that to the same degree that I do. Yeah. You mentioned... Um as we were preparing for this, this idea of um, like you won't let Moses play out in front of your mm -hmm. house. Um, talk about that if you would. So a lot of that might be situational, um, just to kind of level set. I live a little less than a mile from where Philando Castillo was shot, uh, right off of Como in the Como neighborhood. Um, so that kind of started with my mentality. Like I, I don't even go in the front of my house that often. Like I go out there to rake, I go out there with a shovel. Um, like I said, I live in a duplex. My uh, brother-in-law lives downstairs, so he's in a wheelchair and he needs access to the front. So I'll, I'll blow the snow. But I, I try to protect my son as much as possible or shield him as much as possible from the world for as long as I possibly can because I just, I don't, I know it's going to happen eventually, but if I can push it off for another month, like his first objectively racist thing, that's like a win. It's such a small, petty thing. But like, it's gonna happen. That's just the facts. Like any, any person who thinks it's not gonna happen is not being honest. Um, but if I can kind of you know, shield him from that, you know, the better, whereas like, my wife doesn't worry about that as much. And I think also, I think the world views my son when he's with me as a black kid and when he's with my wife as a mixed kid. Mm. Very subtle difference, but there is a difference there. Yeah, you use the language of, I'm, I want to restrict the world's access to my son Correct. as long as I can. Yeah, yeah. Fun, uh, fun uh, Sunday, huh? <laughs> what, um, what do you love about your relationship with your wife? Uh, I would say first and foremost, um, talking me into doing public speaking engagements. <laughs> And then finding a way to <laughs> not be there, not, not be here. So I think uh, her desire to give me opportunities for growth is oh, just she's a giver. Just, it's it's yep. great. It really is. <laughs> um, what do you? You've talked a, a bit about some of the the hard things about being a black man. What do you love about life while black? Uh, because. Yeah, that's a good question, and you asked me that before, and I think I stumbled, because I don't think I ever really think about life as black. I think about mm. life as Patrick, sure. and every once in a while, I'm, I'm jolted out of being Patrick and reminded I'm Patrick, and I'm also black, mm. right? Um, it's almost like, you know, uh, by comparison, 
I don't know, being a guy, right? You don't wake up every day and go, hey, I'm a guy. And you brush your teeth and you go, handsome guy. Like, hey, I'm a guy. And then every once in a while, something will happen where you get reminded, hell, oh, yeah, I'm a guy. Um, to be a little bit more serious, I think, for women, right? You probably don't wake up every morning and, like, I'm a woman, I'm a woman, I'm a woman. And it's, like, running in the back of your head. But then something will happen where you go, oh, yeah, I'm a woman, right? And sometimes it's positive, sometimes it's negative. Uh, I don't really, I, I don't... Any, like, any traditions or any, like, family things that, that you just say, like, oh, this is good? Like, I can have a bald head because I'm, you know, thinning on top, and people just think it's a stylistic choice. So that's a Love huge, it. huge benefit there. <laughs> Thank you, Michael Jordan. Um, Amen to that. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at I'm looking at the clock, and I have so so many things I want to sure, ask. Sure, I'll try to. Be a little can more I throw brief. you a curveball? You, you did last time. I did so last time, so I got to throw another one. Okay. All right. Um, so just recently, an interview with Michelle Obama was on. I don't remember what sh what channel it was. Um, it was fantastic. Loved it. Um, what was it like for you as a black man when Barack Obama was elected president? On uh, one word, shocking. Because uh, that wasn't really, I think, I, I didn't think that America was willing to accept that. Um, uh, by way of background, again, I was uh, a, a territory manager for Ecolab uh, when I lived out in Milwaukee. And I had so many accounts where folks would say, you know, I either, you know, most, most of the times they were fine with me being their, their, their TM, but they'd be like, you're not what we expected or this or that. And you're, you're just, you know, outside of uh, the norm. And I didn't know if it was because I was 22, 23 years old and I was a territory manager. The average age of a TM is like 35, 38. So was it because I was younger? So one guy just flat out said, you know, he was <laughs> staring at my mouth and I was talking and he goes, you're not from around here. And I'm like, oh, you must hear my Minnesota accent, you know, don't you know? And he goes, no, just black folk here just don't speak as well as you do. And I'm pretty sure he meant it as a compliment. He actually ended up being a good um, customer friend of mine. Um, but I just, you know, from my experience, I just didn't think that we were at that point where we were okay with that. I think right. if you look at the, the current climate, regardless of, of where you sit politically, there's an argument that maybe we weren't. Um, right. But I, I think probably shocked more than anything else. Um, I'll keep going on the, the, uh, the, the cultural. Black Panther. Yeah. I mean... I've talked to a number of my friends who are people of color who for them, like that movie was a huge deal. Would you, do you share that sentiment or? I, I think the reaction of the movie, um, what was the significant? For them it was like seeing the hero uh -huh. as a black man. As not a supporting cast member. As not a supporting lead. cast yeah. member or the antagonist or the normalization that the entire cast was this um, African people. Sure. Right? sure. Yeah, I, I, I thought that was pretty significant. Um, maybe not as amazingly significant as your friend is. The thing that I thought was really interesting and really fun and really, really cool that, you know, as you can tell, puts a smile on my face was my wife was uh, uh, showing me some photos of uh, one of her photography um, friends who does photos. And uh, her friend is uh, white, I think, of Swedish background as well. And her son, for Halloween, went as Black Panther. That was awesome. So, white kid, blonde hair, his heroes, Black Panther. Um, I mean, the fact that half the congregation's nodding their head like, yeah, that's pretty neat. Mm -hmm. 
black kids have been dressing up as Spider-Man for years, hmm. right? Black kids, have, like, one of my nephews loves Superman. Like, his, one of his first full sentences was, Superman flies, right? Love Superman. I, I grew up, uh, still, I'm a big Batman fan. That's not odd. That's not notable. It's people of color have constantly, you know, been able to, to have the, the mental flexibility to be able to say, I can see myself in Clark Kent. I can see myself in Superman. And I think the reaction, when I say the reaction versus the movie, the movie's just a movie, right? right. Um, the reaction to the movie, it creates this opportunity for folks, especially little kids, to have this empathy to say, I can see myself yeah. in someone who doesn't look like myself. It's a muscle that I think, unfortunately, um, a lot of people that live in the majority haven't had the opportunity, right? The opportunity to exercise. Well said. Um, last question. What, do you, um, what are your hopes and dreams for Awaken related to this conversation? Yeah, that's a, that's, yeah, that's a really, really good one. Um, I know your hopes and dreams are probably more intense than mine, um, as they should be. You're the, uh, the shepherd of your, of your flock. I, I think for myself, right, when you talk about change and you talk about taking what you've known your entire life and, and trying to do something different and getting outside of your comfort zone, um, I think what a lot of folks struggle with, myself included, is, is going from what I would call like a one to a 10. Um, I have a friend who um, was kind of lamenting to me about a year ago. He's like, hey, I, I know I shouldn't eat these types of foods and I should be greener and I should do this. I, I can't do all of it. It's just, it's overwhelming, right? And I wouldn't call anyone to go from a one, right? From where they are from a comfort level of race or how they interact to a 10. I think that that's asking too much. We're all human. You can only do as much as you can do, right? Um, but if you're at a one, push yourself to get to a two. If you're at a 10, push yourself to get to an 11, right? And, and what does that look like um, tangibly, right? Um, so it's not just as conceptual, but a tangible. Uh, very quickly, uh, when I used to work downtown, I worked at Oracle for a number of years. I used to take the bus from Como and St. Paul uh, to downtown Minneapolis. And there'd be times when it would rain, and that's lots of times when they go through the UFM campus, a lot of the students wouldn't want to walk to class or bike to class, or they'd get on the bus. And the bus would be packed, I mean, like sardines, elbow to elbow, shoulder to shoulder, chest to chest. And I would sit, and I'd sit on the inside, and I'd put my briefcase on my, on my knees, and I, I'm going to a corporate job where I'm wearing you know, a, a suit, most times not a tie, but sometimes a tie, and that seat next to me would stay open whole time. The, the bus is packed. Every seat's full except for one next to this guy. And I would see people look at the seat and they'd look at me. They'd look at the seat, look at me. Med smile. Great smile, right? And I'd be like, eh, take the seat. It's open. It's yours. They wouldn't take it. More times than not. And if the seat was taken, normally, interestingly enough, it'd be someone of color or uh, an older white woman. Those are like the two strange, it's strange. So those are the two groups that would normally take that seat. But most of the time, that seat would stay open. And I was telling um, one of my friends, a former uh, roommate at the time, I said, and I told him this, and I was kind of like, I was annoyed by it. And he's like, kind of missing the boat, right? Missing the point. Well, that's great. Oh, man, I would love that. You never have to sit next to a random person on the bus. Bus people can be weird. And I'm thinking, I take the bus every day, you jerk. Like, what do you mean by bus people? I'm a bus person. Like, um, <laughs> But, but what you're actually telling that person is, 
I should be scared of you. You're not welcome. You don't belong here. And I travel a lot for work. I was in Fargo two weeks ago. I was in Chicago last week. I was in Las Vegas two and a half weeks ago. And I see this in almost every single airport, right? Airport's packed and you'll see seats open around folks. Almost always if that person's someone of color, folks won't want to sit there. And even though you're not being quote unquote racist, right? You're not, oh gosh, I didn't even tell that story. I kind of want to about, if, if I can, I'll get to that. Go well, on. we'll make the game, I promise. Um, uh, you're, you're telling that person that they're not welcome, that you're scared of them. Uh, three quick stories tangibly of what that looks like, right? People not being racist, but having a racial impact. Um, first one was, uh, happened recently, I was walking my son in a stroller, he's one years old, um, and I'm wearing like, I, I call it, what my wife calls it, my running gear, but I don't like to run, so I call it my walking gear. And uh, we're walking, and this lady takes her purse, and she tucks it under her arm like a football player, and she pushes herself against the wall of this building next, almost to the point where she's like sliding against the wall. And I'm thinking, I got a one-year-old kid, right? And I just kind of smile at her. I'm walking, I'm like, what do you think's going to happen? You think this is some kind of elaborate, like, scheme? that I you know, co-opt this one-year-old and I come out here and at two o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday, I'm mugging people or raping them or like, what, what, what do you think was gonna happen that you need to be so scared to be away from me? And then my mind immediately goes to my son and goes, gosh, how long until that happens to him? And he experiences this, this feeling of, you're someone who sh I should be scared of. And then very quick, the last two stories is I think about, um, nah, you know what, I'm not gonna tell that one. I don't. I don't want to leave you guys on a negative note, even though I think I already... The first session was, we had some laughs. It was really fun. It's a weird deal. You know, two hours, I can't... I can't you know what it was? We started off having fun, yeah. and then we got serious towards the end, yeah. and I couldn't level set back up to fun, so I was like... <laughs> You guys missed out. It was a great show. We'll post we, really, we put on a great we show. We put on a great show. We'll, maybe we'll post both hours. Sure, sure. Would you guys say thank you to Patrick with me? invite you to uh, a word of prayer and then just a, a few moments of silence and we'll end with uh, a responsive reading um, that we'll do together. So pray with me if you would. God, we'll, we thank you for this day and the opportunity to gather together um, and to move towards one another. Um, I pray that in the next few moments of silence that you would remind us that we are um, indelibly and uniquely loved and bear your image and that each person in this room does the same. So God, in the ways that we maybe are being invited or challenged to move towards um, something that might be uncomfortable or something that we've not been aware of, uh, that you would wake us up, that you would turn on the lights and um, invite us to whatever the next step from one to two or four to five might be, I pray. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com 
backslash Awakening Community. Or on Twitter, by Awakening Community. See you next time.